Hey! You're listening to Talk of Shame, a Wamina production supported by our sponsor, BetterHelp. I'm your host, Alia Moro. I'm an Egyptian-born, London-raised freelance journalist and author of the best-selling non-fiction book, The Greater Freedom. Having felt the impacts of shame, or Arab, as Arabs like to call it, on many aspects of my life, I've become pretty obsessed with the concept and the question of how we can rid ourselves from it. Throughout the season, I dig deeper into shame with the help of some brilliant guests. Shame breeds shame, so we gotta talk about it. Shame. shame is a double-edged sword. Shame is shame is a very personal thing. In some situations, it can help us be good people. It's true. However, I don't think we need shame to be good. It's impacted by you being taught by your family or your wider community what is shameful and what isn't that can differ between families, communities, countries. This feeling of shame might cause you to rethink a certain act you did and learn from such a situation and not repeat the same act that might be hurtful to you or to someone else. But it also can be toxic. I think they are opposing forces. Arab families use shame as a weapon against things that are normal. And I guess it stems down to who then decides what is shameful and what isn't. Because we love ourselves, we want our conscience to be clear and we want to do the right thing. And it's a very personal thing. If you shame me, I love myself less. In fact, I hate myself. Shame is a very personal thing. Shame is an act of self-loathing. I start to think about the fact that I won't stop doing the thing that you consider to be bad or that you're shaming me for. I will just not do it in front of you. Shame is a double-edged sword. It can help us be good people. It also can be toxic. We are good because we have love for ourselves and we have love for the people in front of us. So far on this podcast, we've been talking a lot of shit about shame. But does it have any benefits? My grandfather would argue that, yes, it does. That we need shame in order to be good people. But do we? The problem with it is that it's tied up in being a good person. But the definition of good a lot of the time is not really about being good or not harming other people. It's just about fitting these expectations. That's Rosaline Elbe, who you may recognize from the Emmy Award-winning Hulu show, Rami, in which she plays the cousin. Yeah, that one. Rose and I went to school together in Egypt, albeit a year apart, and reconnected at the Rami rap party in Cairo a couple of years ago. I find her just so intelligent and insightful, and I really wanted to bring her onto the podcast to talk about whether shame is a necessary evil. We touched on the difference between shame and guilt, what a good person even is, and more. As always, Rose kicks us off by telling us what she thinks about when she hears the word shame. Shame breeds shame. Let's talk about it. When you first were like, let's talk about this, I kind of sat with it for a while and did some reading as well. And I was just like, there's something that was articulated for me that I think maybe I hadn't done for myself before, which is the difference between shame and guilt, Mm -hmm. you know, where I think like a lot of people, you know, I struggle with both, (laughs) a lot of it misplaced, but I think with shame, I don't know, I, I always just it's placed in Egypt for me because that's where 
a lot of it I feel comes from and like there's a gendered shame that I've been battling with my whole life and especially the past three, four years because I moved back to Cairo. What I think of when I think of it is actually the absence of something that society makes me feel I should feel about certain things that I do. Okay. And it's always tied up in how I might be disappointing someone else's expectations of me or like a societal norm. But it's very different to guilt, which is like, oh, I did something wrong. Yes. So maybe I can fix that. Shame is more like I am a bad woman, you know? Yes. I just finished reading um, Brene Brown's Daring Greatly, which is so, have you read it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. And she speaks so much about this and sort of the difference between, like you said, shame and guilt. And, you know, guilt is I did something bad and shame is I am a bad person. Um, And the way that that kind of often prevents growth, because then you're just like, okay, I'm bad, you know, so, okay, how do I change that? I don't know. It's too overwhelming. Yeah. I mean, I guess guilt, it's, it's different levels of it, right? Like, I think that there's a kind of guilt which is healthy in that it shows, A, that you're an empathetic person. So like, I can tell that I've hurt someone. Like I, <laughs> there, like, I still feel guilty about something that I said to my best friend when we were 12. You know, yeah. I, like, and I, I wish I were joking. Like, I will think about it at night and I'll get that like, you know, that full body like cringe of like, no. Um, but there's, I guess, the difference between that which is like a healthy reaction to something where it's like I did a bad thing here are the steps I could take to fix it or Mm. here's how I could behave differently in future the difference between that and and a shameful feeling which is really damaging because if you come from a place of shame which is like I am a bad person or I am this or um I'm unfit in society for whatever reason every decision coming from a bad person is a bad decision. So you're basically being taught that all of your instincts are probably wrong and you're having to change who you are or second guess yourself to conform. So that in my head is how I kind of make the distinction. But I think both, I mean, the terms are fluid and people use them interchangeably to mean the same thing. Yeah. I think what's so toxic, and it's interesting that you said that when you moved back to Egypt is when you sort of started to feel it more because I've definitely, you know, I grew up in London, but I lived in Egypt as well and spent a lot of time in both. And I felt shamed for different things in different cultures. And I feel like what's so interesting about shame is that especially when in regards to women is that it's so much about societal expectations. It's so much about like, well, this is how we do things. And if you are doing things differently, or if you are thinking differently or whatever, then shit, let me quickly shame you so that you stop doing that. Yeah. A hundred percent. And it, you're right. I mean, it, it's, it's not that, you know, when I was, cause I grew up in Cairo, but even when I was living abroad, it's not like the shame disappeared for me, but it's just, it's different. There are different aspects of it and different expectations. And I think for me as well, like I, I'm lucky in that I came from a family with parents who are very sort of just allowing of me being who I was and not that concerned with what society thought. What will people say? Yeah. Which is, oh my God. Like, and even them, I mean, for so many of my friends who are Egyptian with Egyptian parents are like, your parents are 
amazing. But like, yeah. we still had the thing where like, when I first moved back and I was staying with him for a couple of months and I was like, what, 26, 27. And my dad was like, well, you know, if you're being dropped off by one of your like guy friends in the evening, can they do it around the corner so the webs don't see it? And I was like, oh, oh. I did web. <laughs> which it's a sliding scale, right? Because it starts with like a funny anecdote with your parents and then it can turn into a woman being thrown out of her balcony because, you know, which happened in Egypt because people living in her building and her doorman took it upon themselves to police the way that she lived her life. And that, it all comes from the same place, you know? Yeah, it really does. And I think what's so like, so I've had this conversation like a trillion times with my grandfather in particular, (laughs) which you can imagine how that goes. But he is a strong, strong, strong advocate that shame is what is necessary in order for us to be good people. Right. And that if we're not shamed and if we're not kind of raised in that way, then we will just essentially be like, animals and just kill people and just like do all these things and you know shame is what is what makes us not do that such a bleak way of looking at (laughs) (laughs) like and I know he's not alone like there are lots of people who'll say that and you're brought up to kind of feel that way you know which is like you need these rules and you need this this societal feeling to make you kind of stay in line but I guess I don't, I don't think that people are inherently murderers. I know. (laughs) Um, Again, I think it comes down to, I mean, like you saying your grandfather saying that's what makes you a good person. I think then you have to question what is a good person? Who decides what's shameful and what isn't? Mm. And when you're talking about something as simple as the concept of guilt, and I'm not talking about like religious guilt or whatever, I'm talking about like, I did bad thing. I then confront that and own up to it. That I think is a far more effective way of being a quote unquote good person because you're concerned about your actions harming someone else Mm. rather than what people might think of your actions or how people might perceive you or your reputation, you know? Well, again, so much of the things that we're being shamed for don't actually have bearing on whether or not we're good people. It's things like what we're, how we're dressing or, you know, what we're doing. So is that what makes a good person? Like if you just abide by societal, often outdated expectations of what a woman in particular should be like, like, Mm -hmm. is that the only version of what a good person is? It's pretty wild. Exactly. And I think having done quite a bit of like research into the studies people have been taking into shame and guilt, like over the past 15 years or so, like every single one is like, there's a huge disparity between women's responses and and men's responses to this question and to how deeply they feel shame and how readily they feel shame. Women more readily feel shame. And that was in, you know, studies conducted in different countries that were focusing on different things. Like some were about the perception of guilt in general. There was one that was about substance abuse and it always came down to women and adolescents feeling more. And I'm not surprised by that at all. I'm not surprised by that at all either, to be honest. Yeah. The problem with it is that, like we're saying, it's tied up in being a good person, but the definition of good a lot of the time is not really about being good or not harming other people. It's just about... um, fitting these expectations that at the end of the day really do nothing but control you or 
see you through the lens of your value to someone else. You know, like it's it's all tied up in if we're talking about Egypt, but also like in general, like your honor as a woman and your family's honor and bringing shame onto your family. And at that point, we're not talking about being good people or bad people at all, are we? Yeah, we're not talking about being good people at all at that point. We're literally talking about upholding an ideal that also changes, you know? So like even 10 years ago, the sort of things that people were being shamed for are completely different to the sorts of things that people are shamed for now. And it was was even things like, you know, still till now, mental health issues, things that are inherently not shameful. Yeah. And don't make you bad again. You know, like how ridiculous to tell someone or to make someone feel like they should feel guilty about, for example, needing to seek mental help, Um, but then change it to shame. And then you realize that it's pretty ubiquitous that people have to deal with that. Yeah. I mean, everything that I looked at, and I mean, this is, should be a surprise to any of us or any, you know, shame is so closely linked to depression. Yes. um, And feelings of suicide. And it is, you know, if you shame a person into thinking that they are less than or not good or inherently bad for things that they haven't even done or things that they may have done that you just disagree with because they happen to be the norm for you. Like, how do you expect that to go, really? How do you expect that self-esteem to be? How are you supposed to raise confident children or confident, you know, like members of society if you're telling them that they have to be shamed into being acceptable? Yeah, like there is so much evidence that I came across in my research as well, which shows that shame doesn't, it it literally doesn't stop people from doing what they're going to be doing. It just makes them feel bad about it and makes them hide it, but it doesn't make them not do it. And actually there was a really interesting um, bit of research that I came across from this psychiatrist called James Gilligan. And he specializes in shame and he found that violence. So, you know, people who are in jail and people who are violent, a lot of the reason why they're violent is because it's an an attempt for them to restore their self-esteem, self-esteem that was, you know, damaged through being shamed. Wow. That reminds me of this uh, friend of mine works in mental health with a lot of victims of domestic violence. She told me that exactly this that a pattern that they saw a lot of the time with men particularly partners who choked their partners was that their partner was saying something that was shaming and they were trying to shut that person up Mm. so when you make it so easy to shame someone about inherently who they are and you know you also direct it at a group that is not very used to that you know, as women, we kind of internalize shame and we're used to it. But like when you direct it at a group that is not used to it, the reaction is going to be pretty violent because it's a horrible fucking feeling and it feels inescapable, you know? And I think that like literally our base desire as human beings is to like belong and connect and be loved and all of this stuff. So as soon as you put shame into the mix, it just becomes really toxic because shame tells you that you don't belong, that you're not enough, that you're not lovable or whatever it might be. Yeah. So yeah. what kind of reaction do we think is going to come out of it? Like, you know, people get defensive, they blame other people, like they're not, they're not any more likely to actually change their behavior. And yet shame has been used as a tool to sort of 
drill these norms in for so long. So I was doing some reading about, you know, public shaming back in the day and how people used to be put in the stocks and kind of had tomatoes pelted at them and, you know, for doing any, any number of things. And it's, it's still something that I think we get, we have so much of today, like this, this sort of shaming around Corona as well has been really interesting, I think, to, to witness and, you know, COVID yet and mm -hmm. people not wearing masks. And yeah, of course, to a certain degree, you know, we are all sort of in this together. If you're not wearing a mask, you're putting me at danger. You're putting everyone around you in danger. But there's evidence that sort of shaming people is not actually working. It's sort of just making them feel more angry and sort of more rooted in their ways and sort of like, oh, I'm not going to do this just because everyone thinks that I should. Yeah, I mean, I kind of don't see that as the same thing, because like you said, you're actively harming other people when you're not taking these precautions. So it's not really the same. Mm -hmm. And I think actually this is where the conversation tends to get a bit murky is when people try to equate being held accountable for their actions with being shamed unfairly by society. Like those are quite different things. If you're doing something that is hurting people and you're being held accountable for that and being told you've done X and that had this effect on someone or you're doing X and this is going to affect people this way, that's very different to someone just being like, well, you're not conforming to our societal norms. It's not a norm. <laughs> like, no one likes wearing masks, man. I've been breaking yeah. all over my face, okay? I used God, to have me too. skin. That's gone from my life. Mask knee is a real thing. It's a real thing, you know? And like, I had to shield for the first six months and see absolutely no one because I'm high risk. That's not been fun. And it's also not fun when people refuse to wear masks. And that means that I can't step outside my house because I'm like, you're going to breathe on me. Like, yeah. I don't want to make you feel ashamed of who you are, but I want to make you feel guilty about that. <laughs> yeah. And maybe that maybe you've got a good point there because it's not, that's not necessarily shaming someone for who they are. That's shaming someone for a behavior that, like you said, is dangerous. I guess the question is, where is the shame coming from? You know, where have you been taught that this is shameful? And like, we talk a lot about things like Catholic guilt or religious guilt in general. That is you know, you being born into feeling like you are sinful and you are constantly having to atone for that. Mm. That's, I mean, I don't, can we swear on your podcast? Yeah, of course. That's toxic as fuck. Thank you. So that's very different to someone maybe feeling shamed of things that they have done in the past and confronting that at the moment, maybe I don't like who I am, you know? So I guess it, it's reliant on whether your shame comes from things you have done or whether it just comes from a societal expectation of who you should be the word for shame as well like if you look at its connotations and say different languages or different societies I mean like in, in Arabic it's ar and ar is not just you know like a feeling of shame like ar is a really deep seated word it's funny you know I've never heard that I always just hear aib when I think of shame I think I was like a lighter kind of like. Ar sounds like heavy. Yeah. So there are different levels to it that you're talking about. And again, like it's like we said earlier, it's kind of, the, it's all in the same, it comes from the same family, but there's a sliding scale to the consequences of 
of that and of that being so prevalent and how you structure your society or tell people to that they have to behave. So there's this quote that I recently read, which says, when people have virtue, dignity, and honor, they turn away from evil, not out of fear of punishment, nor because of reward, but because evil is ugly, and such a person would not allow herself to engage in lowly acts. What's lowly? <laughs> like, a well, yeah, there we go. That's a good question. <laughs> what, what do you mean by lowly? This was written in like the 1900s, so they could have met all sorts of things that we would now not mean by that. But I think what I would mean by lowly is like being mean, you know, like being hurtful or like disrespecting myself, but not what my mom thinks that means, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what I think that means. And I think what that means for me is not being true to myself. Yeah, I agree with that. I love that. That's such a good, I love that you just said, what's lowly? You're so right. It's not, it's not black and white. No, I'm always, I'm always just like these buzzwords. I'm always like on my backup. Like, what do you mean by that? I mean, I do think this idea of using shame to police people so they don't do bad things, right? Like who's doing the policing, you know? And it's always, there's always a an imbalance in like in terms of power structures and societal structures and the people who are doing the policing are always people with more power who are probably working quite hard to hold on to it mm -hmm. you know and it's so funny like had this conversation quite a few times in the past and I think the UK is quite a good place to have it because the UK's relationship with class and class structure is just really messed up and like there's a lot that hasn't been confronted at all and one of those ways is sort of how to articulate this people who would be considered to be sort of upper class or landed or like old money there are so many sort of rules within that community but they don't have to subscribe to them because they are from that community you know what I mean so things like putting my elbow on the table or whatever like we don't you don't think about that all the time but to someone who may be perceived as new money or a quote-unquote social climber or whatever they are made to feel shame about any of their behavior that doesn't conform to these rules because they're having to prove that they belong there and that's another way of telling someone you don't belong or you have to watch what you do Ultimately, the groups of people that are constantly having to watch what they say and what they do are not the ones who are in power. Oh, you're so right. You like make exceptions for yourself when you're in, when you're in charge. Yeah. And that's, that again goes back to cancel culture, where it's like a lot of the time when people are like complaining about cancel culture, it's like, no, it's just you are not from a group of people that's been held accountable before. So it feels like you're being oppressed, but like you're just having to think about what you say for the first time ever. Yeah. And like, this is so funny, especially in comedy, because I have so many friends who are in comedy, particularly in the UK and the US, and particularly in stand-up. And it's so funny because like the people who to me are the funniest people are the ones who are like not complaining about cancel culture at all. Cause they're like, no, we just have to work a bit harder to be funny. Like <laughs> so true. And also, why is it funny to like be um shooting down you know exactly. what I mean like there was a really good example actually of a way that shaming 
worked in a way, which was so Waterstones, the bookstore in the UK, they sort of announced that they were going to be staying open during the pandemic. And, you oh, know, yeah. the, and everyone was kind of on social media sort of criticizing them for that. You know, how about the workers and that's not fair and you're putting them at risk and all of that. And within a day, they sort of said, okay, fine, you know what, we're not going to. Yeah. And that I think is an example again of maybe where shaming works is when you are attacking a structure or like a bigger thing, not mm-hmm. not one individual for not doing a behavior that you think they should be doing. Yeah. And then in that case, it's like, exactly who holds the power in that scenario because the people doing the shaming or like voicing their you know whatever their discontent with your policy are not people in power Mm -hmm. they're just people who are connected by social media who are telling you what they think and basically going the only way that I have to influence you is to say that I'm not going to purchase anything from your store right and that's very different to like putting someone in the stocks because that's a whole different power relationship, you know? And like, that's another thing was like, with the, again, I'm like, keep coming back to cancel culture because it kills me, is like the idea that like, oh, like I'm being oppressed by like the powers that be or by the elites. You're not. It's just people telling you, giving you their reactions to your work in a way that they wouldn't have been able to in the past. Let's pause the conversation here for some words from our sponsor, BetterHelp. The effects of shame culture can run deep and are often ignored. It can affect our mental health and self-image, and as we take care of our mental health and well-being, it's important to process our experiences and traumas. BetterHelp makes this easy and accessible by assessing your unique needs and matching you to one of their licensed professional therapists in less than 48 hours. You can message your counselor anytime and get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions from the comfort and safety of your own home and skip the uncomfortable waiting rooms of traditional therapy. As a Talk of Shame listener, you get 10% of your first month with BetterHelp.com. That's better, H-E-L-P. Use promo code TALKOFSHAME and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Back to the conversation. I'd love to speak a little bit about, so me and you are both obviously positive, optimistic people, which is great. (laughs) That's a kind way of saying where I am right now. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, I mean, in terms of like believing that people are inherently good. (laughs) (laughs) But like, where do you think that we get, you know, to go back to that quote that I read earlier of, you know, when people have virtue, dignity and honor, they turn away from evil. Where do you think we get our inherent goodness from then? Are we born like that? Yeah, I mean, I think that we are, people are, empathy is not taught, you know. I think if anything, empathy is taken away. Mm. Like if you see two kids playing together and one of them starts crying, the other one will be concerned and will want to fix it, you know, like, it's just very simple. I think that quote actually, I think where its value is, is it's saying essentially if people's dignity and honor is intact, then they will conduct themselves in the way they would if they were free as to enact everything they wanted to. And that ultimately would balance itself out. And I think mm-hmm. what that really means is if we have equality then people will treat each other far better. And I think that's 
largely true. But unfortunately, capitalism is a broken system, so I don't know how we fix that. But I think a lot of the time when people mistreat each other and you look into it, there is an inequality of power on some level that applies for men and women, that applies for white people and people of color. Well, even in terms of like, again, poverty, like if you have nothing, maybe you do need to steal something, you know, maybe you do need to find a way to get what you need to eat that day or to take care of yourself or your family or whatever. Maybe if you did have everything that you needed, then you could just be free to kind of make choices rooted in yourself rather than out of like a desperate need for something. Yeah. Well, it's like the way that people are, for example, like the conversation around refugee parents bringing their children with them on journeys and being, you know, and like the the rhetoric around that is so shaming of like, what kind of parents are you to do this to your kids? Like, what kind of parents do you think would be doing this to their kids if it wasn't their last Mm -hmm. fucking option to keep them safe? And you're misdirecting your shaming energies at the people who are trying to save themselves from a bad situation, not who has created that situation that they're in, you know? So same thing with like, yeah, like you said, like someone who, for example, is in poverty and trying to feed their kids, the shame will be directed at that person. And again, we see it a lot in the UK press of like benefit scroungers and whatever. And it's like, no, sorry, why do you, why in your country do people need to be on benefits anyway? Yeah, for real. Why are you shaming these people? Why are you not shaming your governments or like your power structures that are allowing this to keep happening? The systems that literally made that the only way. Yeah. And, you know, we can talk about it on a far simpler level, which is just very close to me right now. And I'm going to go back to Egypt because that's where a lot of our energy is being focused right now. But the public reaction a lot of the time when there's an incident of videotaped harassment or assault and just people reacting with, well, if women and if women dressed a certain way and well, well, women are starting to act out like this or whatever. It's like, Mm -hmm. where is all this being directed at the perpetrators of this behavior? The shame is so often pointed in the wrong direction. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's being used to police a group of people, right? And if you directed it at yourselves as men, then that means that you as men have to do a lot of reckoning with what you've been allowing each other to get away with, what society's been allowing you to get away with. It is so much easier to just be like, well, no, if women just covered up, which is demonstrably untrue. We're even having that conversation here right now in terms of like women shouldn't, maybe we shouldn't walk alone like at, at night and stuff. And it's it's crazy that the, the solution, like if, if a whole half of the population is going to have to change their behavior, it definitely shouldn't be us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this always happens when incidents like this become a talking point, which sort of belies how often this actually happens because this is happening every day but there's always that question that goes around which is like what would you do as women if men were given a curfew mm-hmm. and the responses are fucking it's so sad fucking. and I remember like I wrote an article I think about a year ago for Mother Must kind of talking about the fear that's instilled in us as women sort of by our mothers and grandmothers to protect us Mm -hmm. you know um but then is turned into a vehicle for shame because it becomes about what you didn't do to keep yourself safe 
Like I remember being a person who wasn't afraid to go out jogging at three in the morning in London. And now I look back and I'm like, you idiot. I know. (laughs) What were you doing? And that's really sad. Like I miss that girl. I want that girl back. I think it's so interesting what you said though that and I you know we've I've spoken about this on the podcast before how shame is so often sort of passed down from our mothers and from the women mm. and it's interesting what you said that it's like because obviously it's true we know this they're not trying to make us miserable that's obviously not the point it's in order to protect us and you know all of that but I think what's so sad again is that shame is so often used in order to do that so we're being shamed of how we're dressed or how we're, you know, what time we're walking in the street. And that shame is to protect us. Yeah. This is one of the reasons why I value my mother so much because she and I have been having, like ever since I was a teenager, we we have really sort of like difficult conversations about things like this. And she is so malleable and has changed so much. And she's, she's, sort of looked back at things she was taught and been like, oh yeah, why why is this a thing? Yeah. And we'll talk about things that like, you know, I think most of my friends will be like, sorry, your Egyptian mom is talking to you about what? But it's so interesting because we're sort of going on this journey together, both of us, when we have these conversations and sort of 32 years apart, you know, she grew up with shame being used as a tool to keep her and her sisters safe. And in a retrospect, mm. I'll talk about it. She's like, it didn't keep us safe at all. Actually, if anything, it sort of emotionally abused us. Yeah. Um, this is another thing. It's like a lot of the time, if you grow up in an environment where you are shamed for being who you are fundamentally, there's a lot of possibility that that's just going to push you away. I also think that it doesn't really provide you the opportunity to develop your own moral compass. Uh-huh. So like I know for me growing up, I I never worried about whether or not what I was doing was right or wrong. I worried about not getting caught. Ah, uh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and it was only like, it's wild to think about now. <laughs> It's wild. Like, I was like, I can do whatever I want. I just have to not get caught. It makes so much sense, though. That's how a lot of, yeah, that's how a lot of us grow up. Yeah. But it was only when my dad, like, sort of sat me down and we had, he cried and we had this whole conversation. And it was only then where he was like, okay, listen, no matter what, just tell me, I'll help you. Let's, like, nip this in the bud because this is just not healthy for anyone. And from there my life has just completely changed where I feel like so much more, um, well, firstly able, like really close to my family and really able to have all these kind of conversations with them. I'm going through something quite similar with you and your mom, with me and my mom. Like we're really kind of having all these chats now, which has just been so lovely. It's so nice, but I feel like my own moral compass and my own sense of right and wrong has just become so much more strengthened. Like I have faith in my choices now. I can, you know, I really can tell this is what I think is right and this is what I think is wrong. Whereas, like I said, I didn't think about that before. I just wanted to not get caught. Yeah. I love that you're having those conversations with your family because like I had a similar thing when I moved away. I remember a phone conversation with my mom where I was just like, do you want me to keep lying to you 
or do you want us to have like an honest relationship where I call you and talk about stuff? And she was Mm -hmm. like, I want us to have an honest relationship. And it's just been great. You know, like it's not always easy. Like I say things and she'll be like, what do you mean? And I'm like, through that Um, and vice versa. But um, working through that is so important. But like, if we talk about shame as how we get people to be good or bad, then what you're saying is that people's moral compass comes from outside them and that they can't be trusted. And that's so harmful. I mean, you're you're coming to people, telling them from the off that you are bad and that you will probably do bad. I mean, do you not think that that then encourages people to behave badly? Because you're basically telling them that they can't help it. Yeah. Also, a lot of the conversation around men. I mean, I think it's so awful the way that a lot of the time men are spoken to about say like assault or whatever. And I'm talking about as perpetrators, not as, not as victims, but like things like, Oh, you know, like men can't help themselves or whatever. Boys will be boys. Yeah. Besides being so harmful to the victims, you're also telling men that they are like, they don't have the intelligence not to assault people. You're telling them they can't help themselves. You're telling them their urges are beyond their control. That's wild. I know. It's so... You're basically telling them they're all rapists. God, wow. You know? And that's that's wild to me. Like, how is that not a really damaging thing to say? Yeah, well, it's such a bad baseline to start from, to be honest. Yeah. And it's not healthy. Like, my, I grew up with my mom basically telling me, like, don't trust any men. And I was like, that's a, that's a horrible way <laughs> to, to set someone up for life. And I understand that it comes from wanting to protect and and experience and whatever and kind of wanting you to be on your guard but ultimately who is that harming really you know if we take that as sort of the accepted status quo that's really sad for us yeah well and like you said I think it also is telling us that we can't really even trust ourselves yeah I think that's where that's where it all boils down to it's just you can't trust yourself as a person it has to, everything that polices you has to be external. And who is doing the policing? The patriarchy. <laughs> in terms of, um, in terms of whether shame is a necessary evil. Well, I think we've concluded that it's not. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think as with everything sort of question where it's coming from, you know, question who's doing the shaming and where this idea has come from and who's decided that this is the norm always because there's so much sort of knowledge that is just received and that we take as just because it's come from generations before it, we just take as written. But it came from somewhere. And a lot of the things that we perceive as being sort of universal truths or societal truths are pretty new concepts. Well. And they change. And they change all the time. And another way that like, this is a whole other thing, another way that we are taught to accept norms or things that we should be ashamed about is our, our history is kept from us, you know? And something that may have been the case for 100 years is presented to you as if it's been the case for 5,000. So true. It's just like, who is making me feel this way? Who has made it? that I should feel this way about this aspect of myself. If you're hurting someone actively with your behavior or you're hurting a group of people, yeah, that's you. That's something you should be confronting and should feel guilty about. 
But if it's just, you know, me as a woman expressing myself or me as a transgender person or me, you know, whatever you're, or me as a member of a minority group kind of being who I am and, and being louder than is expected, for example, you know, who's decided that that's something to be ashamed about? And what does that person or that group have to benefit from making us feel ashamed about exactly. it? Exactly. Rose, thank you so much for chatting with me. It has been so great. Bye. Didn't I say that she's smart? <laughs> I love chatting with Rose for this. And I think the biggest takeaway for me anyway, is the question of who is doing the policing and who's decided that something is the norm anyway. The truth is so much of what we're shamed for doesn't even have all that much to do with being a quote unquote good person, but rather with fitting into societal norms. Next week, I chat with the brilliant Noor Tuguri about the invisible jury, a term I coined in my book, The Greater Freedom. The Invisible Jury is essentially all those many, 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 many people we're meant to consider when we're told what will people think. This is a snippet of what Noor had to say. And this idea that what will people say, let me change myself for the comfort of other flawed human beings is very, very, very problematic because who are you trying to please? I'm Alia Moro, and you've been listening to Talk of Shame, a Wemina production supported by our sponsor, BetterHelp. Sound designed by the talented Nicholas Alexander. Special thanks to Wemina producers Amira Ahmed, Elisa Friha, and Rhythma Ekinayaki. Thanks to everyone who submitted voice notes for this week's episode. Follow me at Alia Moro and at Wemina to submit your thoughts for future episodes. We'll be dropping questions every Saturday. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, download, and review. It really does help get the word out there. Talk to you next week.